0: Welcome to C3 Church, Queens Beach. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoy this message today. Last week, we looked at the first part of chapter one. Paul was writing from prison to the church at Colossae. He had heard from Epaphras that Colossae was a beautiful, thriving and healthy church, full of faith and love and hope and centred on Jesus. They understood some keys to pathways to life, understanding grace, being filled with the Holy Spirit and knowing Jesus. But the reason he is writing this letter tenderly as a father in the faith is to motivate them to keep their hearts and beliefs free from error because there was a problem in Colossae. There was a threat to the early church as people had come in and had started threatening the pure faith that they had in Jesus. That can happen to us too in this day and age, if we are not aware. The threat was two things, preaching that Jesus is less than God. So the deity of Jesus was under attack in the church of Jesus. They said, Oh, he may be better than some of the angels, but not all of them. And that he's definitely not equal to almighty God. The second threat was that there was a secret knowledge obtainable to only a select few people in the faith. Only a few elite could have the secret code, a secret mystery that only a few could access and know about. And people are still drawn to that sort of thing today. These guys, they were deceived as they wanted to reach a higher level that only a few people can understand. They were adding extras to the gospel to reach higher things in their spiritual life. These philosophies shift our attention away from the Bible, where we discover the truth of God from the Word of God that can transform our lives. The book of Colossians most clearly reveals the doctrine of Christ with more precision and fullness than in any of the other epistles, because Paul is drawing them back to the main focus. Who is Jesus? So let's pick up Colossians 1 from verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers and authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is the firstborn. That doesn't mean that he's the first one that was born, as in created. In Greek and Hebrew, the word firstborn is a title, not an event. It's a designation of authority. Jesus created everything and is the head over everything. And that is the heart of the whole passage. He is not first as in since the beginning of time, but first as in before time. If nothing else, this should make you stand in awe of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. That means that seeing Jesus is seeing God. Mankind is made in God's image. Jesus is God's image, the same as God. And Jesus said in John fourteen nine. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. They are one. So everything was created by Jesus and for Jesus. And you are one of the everythings. You can substitute your name in there. I can say, Nicole, you were created by Jesus for Jesus. That's how you got created and why you were created. That's who you are and why you're here. And there's a meaning of life right there. How did I get here? By Jesus. Why am I here? For Jesus. So your value is inherent in you. What is our purpose? Our purpose is to know God, to be in relationship with Jesus Christ and shine your light on him for his glory. In verse 17, it says, He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus created everything that exists. All authority is his authority to create everything in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All thrones, rulers, dominions, powers were all created by Jesus for Jesus. There is nothing that exists without Jesus. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. That's it. Jesus is supreme, first in everything, first in life and after life. is the head of everything before everything. He holds everything together. He's the head of the church. He's the first one out of the tomb, out of hell, out of darkness, out of the grave. And he's brought all of us who've trusted him out of hell, out of darkness and out of the grave with him. Therefore, He should get the supremacy in everything. And if you still have any doubts as to whether this means that Jesus is God, let's read verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. All of it. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Not 50-50, but 100%. This is the main summary of this letter. He is the head of this body, which is the church. We can never move away from our head, Jesus Christ. To see him is to see the fullness of the Father and the fullness of Holy Spirit. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21, we were alienated from God, enemies, because we did evil. So belonging to the race of Adam, we are born alienated from God. Then as individuals, because none of us are perfect, we each chose to accept and embrace that alienation with our wicked works. Alienated means transferred to another owner. This transfer of ownership from God to Satan and self affected us in both mind and behaviour. Now Paul moves from who Jesus is to what he did for us. Verse 22, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Wow! Yet now he has reconciled. God's answer to the problem of alienation is reconciliation, initiated by his work on the cross. In the work of reconciliation, God didn't meet us halfway. God meets us all the way and invites us to accept it. This means that in Jesus, we are no longer alienated. We can see God as the judge and we are guilty before him. Therefore, We need forgiveness and justification. We can see God as our friend and we have damaged our relationship with him. Therefore, we need reconciliation. He reconciled us. Reconciled means made right, like a broken friendship that hurts every time you come near it. That was our relationship with God, alienated, separated and just hurting, but Jesus reconciled us through his blood. He says to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. This is a result of God's work of reconciliation. Taken together, these words show that in Jesus we are pure and can't even be justly accused of impurity. The idea of presenting us holy and blameless before God may recall the terminology used when priests inspected potential sacrifices. We are presented to God as a living sacrifice. Verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Continue in the faith, not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. It's important for Christians to continue in godly conduct, but we are not saved by our godly conduct. So it is even more important for Christians to continue in the truth of the gospel because we are saved by grace through faith. We need to understand grace. Verse 24, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. He suffered for the cause of Christ and for the good of the church. He suffered for preaching the gospel to them. And while he suffered in so good a cause, he suffered for us for the church, the body of Christ, for you and me, because it served to enhance the gospel. He could rejoice in his sufferings, rejoice that he was counted worthy to suffer and to esteem it an honour to him. When hope was absent in his environment, Paul rediscovered it in his enjoyment of Christ within himself. Not only is he not anxious or wallowing in self-pity or wanting sympathy, he's actually rejoicing. And prison there was not like our Aussie ones. It would have been dark, damp, terrible conditions. And yet he's encouraging others. That's so countercultural to everything that we see, hear and experience. No matter where you live or what surrounds you at this moment, There is burning hope inside your soul that does more than carry you through. It releases the heavenly Christ within. Verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Your life is made almost entirely of habits and there are a few essential habits to following Jesus along the pathways to life prayer, Bible and community. We know Jesus' voice as we pray, talk and listen to him and we know his ways by reading, studying and applying them. Paul is passionate about sharing the word of God. He knows it will bring life and growth to those who read it, hear it and apply it and he has a mandate to present it. I find it fascinating that Paul is passionate about us reading and understanding God's Word, the Scriptures. And as he is writing this Holy Spirit-inspired letter, he is part of creating that Word. He wrote about a third of the New Testament, they think. He had no idea at the time the impact his writings would have on millions of believers throughout the centuries, that we would be reading it even now. Paul knew then, and we know it now, that there's power in the Bible, the Word of God. So reading, meditating, and studying it needs to be an essential habit. A healthy Bible habit is not a step to heaven, and he will not love you more. He already loves you perfectly. It's not another law or commandment to follow or another box that we need to tick for approval. We read the Bible to draw close to that love and to walk in it. It's not a got to do it, it's a get to do it. God commissioned Paul to present the Word of God in its fullness, the whole Bible and the whole message. In verse 26 it says, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. This is a mystery that we've been hearing about. There are aspects to God's plan that were not clearly revealed in the Old Testament. Now it can be known because it's revealed to the saints verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The specific mystery Paul refers to here deals with many aspects of the work of Jesus in his people, but especially the plan of the church, breaking down of the partition wall between the Jew and Gentile preaching the gospel to the Gentile world, that they should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers together of his promise and privileges in Christ by the gospel. We're Gentiles, we're only here because of this. He wanted to make them his people. And this work was for every man. In contrast, The false teachers at Colossa believed the way of salvation to be so involved that it could be understood only by a select few who made up sort of a spiritual aristocracy. Rather than a mystery that only a few elite understand, it's actually the opposite. We all can partake in the fullness of all God has planned for us. We are all part of the body of Christ we are in him no secret mysteries christ in you the hope of glory this is a christian's hope of glory the difference between a believer and a non-believer isn't merely forgiveness there is a complete change of status it isn't our hard work or devotion to god or the power of our own spirituality Instead, it is the abiding presence of Jesus, Christ in you. That's the big one. This Jesus who is before all things, eternal and awesome beyond description, is in you. If you are his church, he is in you and that is the hope that drives your faith and your love. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not a program like that of the strict law of the past that gets us to God. It's a new position which is Christ in us. That's the hope of glory. Verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. This is the calling card for every preacher, teacher, leader, disciple We proclaim truth, wisdom, love, and hope. But all of these are empty without Jesus. We proclaim Christ, all the depths of love that are in Jesus, the highest hopes and the most profound truths. So we preach Christ so that you will become fully mature because the secret of growing in Jesus is knowing Jesus. If someone's trying to sell you something that isn't Jesus then walk away or if they're telling you they know of an elite higher spiritual level be aware that leads us away from the Word of God the Word of God is truth Jesus Christ is the place where we find fullness of God and it's him we preach this was the focus of Paul's preaching He didn't preach himself or his opinions or even lots and lots of entertaining stories. He preached Jesus. The goal of Paul's ministry was to bring people to maturity in Christ and not to dependence upon himself. Verse 29 says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul's work was empowered by God's mighty strength. But God's strength in Paul's life didn't mean that he did nothing. He worked hard according to his working. We need Holy Spirit to empower and energize us for the purpose and the works he has prepared for us. Jesus is the supreme and sufficient Christ. We are in him, in Christ. The beauty of the Christian life is that it's not me and Jesus, it's Jesus in me. As we grow to know him more, Jesus is in us bringing transformation and changing everything from the inside out. As we take time to partake in a time of communion together, meditate on verse 20 to 22 and the incredible reconciliation we have